the Gospel of Luke. This is going to be a topical sermon, meaning that we're going to take a theme and we're going to look at it in various places. This is going to be a theme that's going to really be with us over the next four weeks, but it's going to be also a theme that's going to be with us the rest of the year. Uh, As many of you know, uh, I will be starting sabbatical in February and March, and so this will kind of get us started for the year, and then we will pick up uh, back into this theme. This will be a theme that we'll carry on even in uh, ways our guest preachers during that sabbatical will carry on this theme. The theme really for this year as we think about kingdom pursuit. What does it mean for us to be a church that is focused on the kingdom of God? Now, let me give some practical prefaces to why this we believe uh, that this is an important theme for us that we've been really praying through uh, leadership-wise for the last four or five months leading into this year. A few cool things that... Uh, We're kind of praying through and anticipating for this year. One, uh, I've already mentioned it, and many of you know, but there is a church plant that is with us that we're going to help be the sending church of. This is Doxa Church. If you're with Doxa Church, would you stand? Putting you on the spot. Yep, yep, stand to your feet. Even a little baby doesn't have to stand. A little baby can stay seated. Um, but Doxa Church is a church that we are partnering with, that we're going to help send out. They're going to be a part of us, our worship gathering today. And then starting next week, they're going to be gathering at 2 o'clock prior to us. And then we'll have worship at 4 o'clock. If you remember, last fall, we had worship at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. We had two options, especially to kind of just because we need some of the space, as well as we want to give opportunity for those who are working uh, kids ministry to be able to come to a worship gathering at 6 o'clock. We're no longer having that 6 o'clock, but it will be the 2 o'clock service along with Doxa Church. Now, it's a technically Doxa Church at 2 o'clock, New Hope at 4 o'clock. I will be preaching both of those, and so it's going to be the same sermon, but there will be a little bit difference. But because we are um, brothers and sisters together, partnering together to see God's kingdom advance together, we want to invite you to come and be a part of that two o'clock at times. And so if you can't make four o'clock or you're working during four o'clock, you want to come to worship, we want to invite you to two o'clock, come be a part of that. But I invited them and wanted them to come into worship with us because I wanted y'all to get to meet one another. Because although starting next week we'll worship at 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock, we'll still do at times ministry activities together. As they look for their permanent home of location of where God's going to call them to meet, they will be with us and partnering together. And so think of it maybe like this before. Uh, if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you were in between homes, Maybe you uh, had to be out of one apartment, but you couldn't get into the next apartment yet, and so you went back and lived with family for two or three weeks before you went to your permanent place. You're still separate, but you're family, but you stayed with them temporarily until you found a new location. That's what's happening with Doxa right now, right? They're in between locations. They're hanging out with us. We're doing ministry together. We're serving together as they pray and look for their next location. And so we have that to be excited kind of about. Second is we announced at our annual meeting this year that there's a group out in Long Island who's a part of New Hope who are beginning to feel God's leading them to plant a church out in Long Island. And so Lord willing, uh, in 2023, early 2024, we'll begin really that process of starting a worship gathering out in Long Island. Still a part of New Hope, 
Once again, think of it like a second service in another location as we continue to think through, hey, how can God use our church out east in Long Island? Doc's is thinking more west towards Manhattan. Long, uh, the Long Island crew's thinking Long Island because that's where they live. And we're looking at, hey, there's opportunities that God's given us to, to preach the gospel and to plant gospel believers in other locations, and we get to be a part of that this next year. So kingdom. Also, in addition to that, practically, uh, you know that we're in conversation with All Saints Lutheran Church, who owns this building, about us buying the building. Like, wow, that's a great opportunity. But you're going to begin to notice that a lot of opportunities, uh, at times, can become conflicts of resources, of leadership, and of time. And so the question must be asked, where is our priority? And hence, we want to talk about and make sure that as we navigate church plant, church plant, as we navigate potentially buying a building, as we navigate other decisions, as we navigate just what it means to care for people within our church and our community, what is guiding ultimately our thought process and decision making, especially as it comes around resources, because that will continue to be a theme. And hence, let us look and focus on the kingdom of God. And so my goal today is to give us an overview, brief overview, of what is the kingdom of God and how do we see that play out. Now, this is going to be a very simple overview. But nonetheless, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand or here. Luke records it this way, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. It's a good place to start by asking the question, what did Jesus prioritize? Luke chapter 4, Jesus is urged to go and do certain things. People are trying to grab his attention. Won't you come and do this? Won't you come and do this? And he says, no, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, for this is why I was sent, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 and following says this, Soon afterwards, we went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. We'll come back to this verse. I want to give a simple illustration to make a point as we ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? I read an article in preparing for this specific sermon a few months ago about a hiker in Colorado on Mount Elbert. It's the highest summit in the Rockies. Uh, gets lost. He, it's wise if you're going to go out, especially in the Rockies, and hike to let someone know what time you're going to be back. This hiker didn't show up at that time, and so they started worried about him. They sent out a search party. They eventually found him the next day. And, the, and what was interesting about the article, he was fine, everybody was fine, but what was interesting about the article, the whole point of the article was from the sheriff in town saying, if you're lost and you get a phone call, answer it. And the point is, because he was lost, but somehow he could still get emergency reception on incoming calls. I'm not really sure how that works. But he was getting incoming calls, but he was ignoring it because he thought it was spam. And in fact, it was the, those that were searching for him were calling him to ask where he was. And so the point was, hey, if you get a call when you're lost, answer it. Someone might be there to help you. I give that because, as an illustration, uh, it's, it's quite funny. It, it's uh, quite obvious as well. But I give that to illustrate this, that I want us to be clear. 
on what the incoming point is. What is it that God, when he is saying, hey, you are on mission, what is it that is the kingdom of God? Because we, if we're not careful, we can miss it and think it means something else. We think that it's something other than it is. So here's a simple definition that I want to give for the kingdom of God. And fill in the blank if you have a sermon outline. It's simply this. The kingdom is God's sovereign activity to redeem people to himself. It's a simple definition, but it's God's sovereign activity to redeem people to himself. When we think about the mission of Jesus, and he says, I was sent for this purpose to proclaim the kingdom of God, he was on a mission to sovereignly redeem people back unto his name. He is working in this world to redeem people back into right relationship with him for his honor and glory. We're going to see in a moment as we look at exactly what is Jesus in the book of Acts even briefly talk about the kingdom of God. Remember, this is going to kind of be a four-week series, so we're going to go in more depth on a lot of these things in the next three weeks. But I want us to first see that the kingdom of God is an Old Testament idea first. We see Jesus show up on the scene. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is now here, that he is ushering in something. He is ushering in God's kingdom a spiritual kingdom here on earth of his sovereign activity to redeem people back unto himself. But I want us to see that even before sin, from the very beginning, God's plan was to have his kingdom be displayed on all of his creation. I want you to look with me at Genesis chapter 1. This is, majority of these are going to be on the screen because I don't want, I mean, you can follow along if you want, but it might be a little difficult. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. When we think about being created in the image of God, rightfully so, there is a faithful explanation that to be made in the image of God means that you bear the characteristics of God. Not in perfection like he does, but in part. So, for example, God is all-powerful. He has perfect power. He lacks nothing in power, but you definitely lack in power, right? But we still have power. What he has in complete, we have in part. He He is love. We have love. You get the idea that to be made in the image of God is that we bear his characteristics and we bear his image and a soul in a unique way that is different than everything else in his creation. But also in this idea of the image of God is this idea of kingdom. Let me explain. Um, If you today, uh, which is still common in our culture and time, is when you have uh, countries and wars, what is one of the ways that you display sovereign rule over location? You plant a flag, right? Some Some of the most... Incredible images that we have as a country are moments where flags were planted and the victory that that meant and maybe the freedom that that meant. I heard um, a friend of mine, when I was explaining this idea to him once, he said, yeah, that's exactly why the United States owns the moon, because we got there first and we planted our flag. Um, Not exactly the point, but the same idea, that a flag represents what? Who has sovereign rule over location? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern culture of the Old Testament, flags was not how you declared who has sovereign rule. You declared who had sovereign rule by a statue of a king within a, a community. Even think about it in the moment where Jesus 
having a conversation with his disciples about taxes and about what belongs to Caesar. What was the question? Should we pay taxes? And his answer to the question was, give me a coin. Whose image is on this coin? And the point was, the image declares who owns it. The image represents who's in charge. So get this idea. God creates us in his image, and he says, go and display this image over all of my creation. To be made in the image of God and then to be sent out on mission all over his creation is to say God reigns and rules over his creation. Being made in his image is to declare his characteristics, but it's also to say to the world around and all of his creation that God rules here, and I'm here to display that rule to the world. That's why he made man in his image, and he said, then have dominion over everything. To be made in the image of God and to be declared to go and multiply that image was an act of God's kingdom being dispersed over all of his creation. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And what did God say to them? He blessed them and he said what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Why be fruitful? Why multiply and why subdue? Because when you do that, you're displaying that God is reigning and ruling over all that he has created. From the beginning when God created us, even before sin entered into the world, the purpose was for us to display his kingdom and his glory. But you and I know that Genesis 3 happened. And in that rebellion, we no longer displayed the image of God, but we display an image of corruption. But here's the idea. We are still multiplying in the earth from Genesis 3 on, displaying an image. It's just not the image of God. Look, Genesis 6, 1, not on the screen, but it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, verse 5 then goes on to say that wickedness had spread over all the earth. Man multiplied, but we didn't multiply God's image and sovereign rule. We multiplied brokenness and hurt and the rule of the enemy. So when the flood came, God took Noah and his family, and he reinstituted this covenant creation to multiply in Genesis 9-1. He tells Noah, he blessed him and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Once again, to go and display the image of God. But we know because sin has entered into the world, you and I have multiplied and mankind has multiplied over creation and we have displayed an image of wickedness, brokenness, sin, corruption. We see it around us all the time. We see it in a number of different ways. Here's the idea that I want us to get as we think about the kingdom of God from the Old Testament briefly is that a kingdom is being multiplied. It's just not God's kingdom. 1 Samuel 8, chapter 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. This summarizes all of the point I'm making. We were never supposed to have an earthly king because God was our king. But they said, no, give us an earthly king to judge over us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. See, the problem of sin in a practical way as it relates to the kingdom is that we've rebelled against God as our king. That's why we say one of the marks of maturity that we believe that scripture teaches as a believer is that we live surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. It's not just that we turn to Jesus and ask him to, you know, to, to be our, the person who just forgives us of our sins. No, he's our great savior. Don't, let's, I'm not minimizing that. But he's our Lord also. 
And he is our king. And when we surrender to him as our savior and call upon him as faith to forgive us of our sins, we are going, you are our king, and we surrender to you. And the Old Testament is a story of God's people, you and I even, who have rebelled against God and no longer submitting to his rule. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, the king has entered, and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king is here. The king has entered back in to what? Sovereignly work to redeem people back into his kingdom. That all of creation has rebelled. Jesus enters into the scene. He is, we just celebrated at Christmas. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. And when, as we celebrate communion here in a moment, we are celebrating the fact that he went to the cross, was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins so that he could redeem us back into his kingdom. And he came advancing his kingdom. So Jesus, I've already said this, but let me tell you what Mark and Luke also say. Mark 1 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time has now come or the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke tells us in Luke 8, 1, soon afterwards he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I want to just pause here. I want to make sure everybody gets this. The story of Christianity and of the belief of Christianity is, is, yes, a system of theology and doctrines. It's a system where we want to be faithful, but let, let's be clear about something. Is that when we give our life to Jesus, the story of Christianity is an invitation that Jesus has done something that we could not and invites us through his grace and mercy because of a, he made a way to invite us back into his kingdom. And he simply says, have faith in me and surrender to me as king. Don't just go to church. Don't just become a member and two hours a week that you give time to me. No, no, no. Your life is surrendered to Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, is that you were outside of his kingdom. You were against him. You rebelled against him. You were not worthy to be a part of his kingdom. But in his love for you, he came and he sovereignly worked to redeem you and invite you back into his kingdom. And the invitation is, is surrender and have faith in me. Surrender to Jesus. The story of Christianity and the Christian faith is that I, Jonathan, have called upon Jesus as my Savior to forgive me my sins and my Lord, my Lord and Savior. My life is yours, Jesus. Every part of my life is yours. And this is what Jesus went to preach. And I want us to see specifically in Luke and Acts. We'll dive into Acts more in the next couple of weeks. We'll touch on it in a moment. But Luke, the writer of both Luke and Acts, clearly points out this theme. I just want to look at Luke 8, 9, and 10 briefly. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. All right, go to Luke chapter 9. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to what? Proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. He says to them, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus preaches. Luke chapter 9, the 12 disciples go out and preach. In Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 72 to go and preach. Each time, one, I want us to see that there's this picture of multiplication happening. One to 12 to 72 is this picture of kingdom growth that more and more are going to preach. But what was 
what was the message? What were they called to go and proclaim? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom's here. Meaning there was a point where the kingdom was not here. Meaning God's sovereign rule on all of his creation in his people was not here. Jesus is ushering that in and then he tells his disciples to go proclaim the kingdom. Now when we do a simple study of the kingdom, you'll notice also that there's these themes that constantly happen. Let's just look at Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10 again. Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. And he called the 12 together and gave them power over authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Luke chapter 10, he tells them to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Point being that there is a theme that we see in the New Testament when the kingdom of God is advanced, God's redeeming his people, but we see evidences of the kingdom and authority over the demonic and the healing of the sick. Why? Because those, the conquering of the demonic, as if to say, you are no longer reigning and ruling, Jesus is reigning and ruling. Think about Mark chapter 5, when Jesus crosses over the sea, he walks on land, he sees the legion demon, the legion demon bows and begs for mercy. Why? Because the king of all the universe is now here, and the demonic know it. There is a spiritual world that we live in, and part of what Jesus is doing is he's conquering and rescuing us from darkness, from sin, and the demonic oppression. So we see evidences of the kingdom and the spiritual advancement of God's kingdom. But we also understand that what is the greatest curse because of our sin and rebellion? Death. And death is the last curse to be broken. Romans makes that clear. You and I will physically die. But praise be to God, Romans 6 makes it clear that Jesus died and was resurrected to life, never to die again. And you in Christ will be resurrected to eternal life, never to die again also. Physical death will ultimately be conquered. But evidences of proof of showing God's kingdom advancing, we see momentary healing on this side of eternity as well. So there's a picture that when the kingdom of God's advanced, we see this play out. This is why a large part of the Gospels and Acts are stories of the demonic and of healing. They're evidences of God's kingdom being advanced. I want us to see how these tie together. But now I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 28, a passage we know well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. I want us to see the ring of Matthew 28 with the creation covenant of Genesis 1. You're created in my image. Now go and multiply that image over all of creation. Disciples who have now been redeemed back into the image of Jesus, go and multiply that image over all of creation. Do you see that the mission hasn't changed? The method is changed, meaning Jesus had to come in and rescue us. But the whole idea from creation to now is that those in the image of God are to display God's sovereign kingdom rule over all of his creation. So go and make disciples of all nations. Colossians 1 gives this picture of Jesus clearly in Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Understand this statement in light of the Old Testament. Yes, it means he's the perfect image, as if to say he is God. But it is also to say that we see God perfectly in sovereign reign and rule in the person of Jesus. For in him all, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to, to what? Reconcile, himself to, or reconcile to himself all things. This is basically where I got the definition. God's sovereign activity to redeem 
his people back unto himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you what? You ransomed or redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why is that so important? Every tribe, language, people, and nation. Two reasons. One, because Jesus loves every tribe, people, language, and nation. But two, Jesus is not going to settle until his sovereign reign and rule is is in every tribe, language, people, and nation. See the idea? He loves every people, but he also is not going to settle until he is king over all people. But he has redeemed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them what? A kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall what? Reign on the earth. This was the plan from Genesis chapter 1. Here's what I wanted to do in this moment as we quickly just looked at the kingdom of God. Is I want us to see a few things about the kingdom. Is first, I want us to see the kingdom is much bigger than this church. The kingdom is much bigger than any one church. The kingdom is much bigger than you and I, which means our lives are bigger than this church. What we live for is bigger than this church. It's bigger than our lives. It is much bigger. It is God's sovereign activity. And ultimately, the kingdom is not about us, but it's about God and his glory. Our job, our invitation is to go and proclaim the kingdom. We are heralds. Preachers are literally the word herald in the New Testament. We are to go and proclaim the message. We do not make up the message. The message has been given to us. The kingdom of God is is at hand. Jesus is Lord. Repent and believe in him. Our job to focus on the kingdom, to pursue the kingdom first, is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Three truths, as you're filling the blanks, you're like, man, he hasn't even got to truth number one. They're application truths, so we're wrapping it up. Right? We're still not in the intro. We're wrapping towards application. But three truths that we're going to unpack over the next three weeks in more detail as we think about the kingdom of God. First is that we must prioritize the proclamation of the kingdom of God. We must prioritize the proclamation of the kingdom of God. We're going to do this at times throughout this year. We're going to do this throughout this year by studying the book of Acts. When I get back from sabbatical, we'll go into more, much more of a deep dive in the gospel of Acts, or excuse me, in the book of Acts. And when we think about the book of Acts, we think about a church. We think about disciples. We think about churches being planted all over. We think about Paul's missionary journeys. We think about these specific incredible stories. But I want us to see that the book of Acts is about the kingdom of God. I want you to look at me, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and what? Speaking about the kingdom of God. If If you've ever written a paper, high school, college, Basic outline to a simple paper, five paragraphs, is you have an introduction, you have three paragraphs as the body, then you have a conclusion. You're told in the introduction, say what you're about to say, say it in the, in the body, and then in conclusion, say what you just said. Basic. I'm going to do that even in today's sermon. Simple outline. I want us to look that this is what we see in the book of Acts as well. What you start with and what you end with is a summary of what's most important. We just saw that at the beginning. Now flip to the end of Acts. 
Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Acts 28, 30 through 31 says this. He lived there two whole years. This is now Paul in Rome. Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to them, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts is not just about any one individual church. So grateful for the churches, and I'm so grateful for local New Testament churches, and local New Testament churches are important. It's the reason why we want to be a part of helping plant two of them this year, Lord willing. We want to see the multiplication of disciples, the multiplication of local churches. However, I want us to see that the book of Acts is ultimately not about any one of those churches, and it's not about any one disciple or apostle or messenger, but it's about the Spirit of God sovereignly working through Jesus to redeem people back unto himself in all places. This is what the book of Acts is about. Acts 1 starts this way. Acts 28 ends this way. It is not ultimately about us. It's about the kingdom. We must prioritize the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Let me give some practical examples of how rubber meets the road for us as a church. Meaning when we prioritize the kingdom, there will be moments where we will make decisions that may not be best for us, but are best for the kingdom. Let me give you an example of how this may play out in my advice as we lead, and I do my best to lead us as a church. Hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to get a number this month of an asking price for this building. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but there could be a point where we go, we could afford that, but that would keep us from planting churches. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go, I don't know that we should buy the building. If the purchase of a piece of property, which can be very helpful to the kingdom, but it can also be a hindrance, because I've grown up in churches and served in churches where we spent all our money trying to maintain a building that we didn't have money to church plant, or we didn't have money to proclaim the kingdom. And so you got to hear me say, when I say prioritize the kingdom of God, you might hear me say, as an advice to our church, we could afford that, but we won't have any money to do these other things we feel the Lord's telling us to do that we feel are more important. So when I say we prioritize the kingdom, this is me making sure that we don't get so excited about the possibility of finally having our own building after being in this building for 20 plus years that it gets in the way of what we feel are greater kingdom things. Also, I have had conversations not only at times in New Hope, but with other churches I've tried to help where I'll hear statements like this, we've got to do what's best for our church. But what if what's best for your church isn't what's best for the kingdom? The number one question to ask isn't what's best for our church. The number one question to ask is what's best for the kingdom. Because we want to be a church that is known not for how many people we have or how much money we have, but how many people we send out and how much money we give away. There's a difference. Now, that's not to say 90% of the times when we say, ask the question, what's best for us, that actually is the right question to answer, but that doesn't mean it is the first question to answer. Because there might be moments where we give away leaders, hurts our church. We give away money, hurts our church, but it's for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. And so when we look at the kingdom of God, we must be sure that we are a church focused on the kingdom. Because here's this, get this. I had a pastor say this to me once, and it just imprinted in my heart. He said, if you aim for the local New Testament church, you might miss the kingdom. But if you aim for the kingdom, you'll also get the local New Testament church. Meaning, if our focus is on the kingdom of God, then what? Matthew 6 tells us, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll add all these things to us. Our focus is on the kingdom. We'll trust that he'll take care of the way. But if we aim at the church, well, guess what? 
We could probably create programs. We could buy this building, renovate it, make it awesome. People think it's the next cool thing in town, and they come to us, and we could grow this church and not grow the kingdom. I've seen many churches planted where we have a lot of people go, you know what, I've been looking for something new, something closer, better programs, and so the church grows from 100, 200 to 1,000, but we're not seeing baptisms. I'm sorry, I'm not in the business of throwing a, growing a big church company. I'm in the business of wanting to see what? God's sovereign activity to redeem people to himself. And so you, we can grow a church and not grow the kingdom, but if we grow the kingdom, we'll see God provide for what we need as a church. Does this make sense? That's what we mean by prioritize the kingdom of God. We must think differently than just what's best for us at times, which is why we are giving up our time to even try to help Doxa Church and to help others because it's a way to try to help the kingdom. Second, not only do we prioritize the proclamation of the kingdom, but we provide for the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also were some of the women who had been healed of the evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who what? Who provided for them out of their means. Listen to me. If Jesus needs people to help provide for his earthly mission, guess what? We need a church that is generous to provide for the mission that God has us on. We need a generous church. And I'm going to unpack this actually in the last two weeks of January. Because in five years that I've been here as your pastor, I've never spoken about finances. Many of you at times have come up to me and said, this is why I like coming here is because you don't talk about finances all the time. Listen to me. Part of that, I get that. Because I do think there's been a lot of abuses and finances within the church, unfortunately. There's abuses in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of need for us to talk about finances. And we're going to talk about finances. And we're going to talk about it from a kingdom perspective. We're going to talk about it through the lens of we want to give and be generous in order that the proclamation of the kingdom of God might go forth. And so we're going to talk about that in the last two weeks of January. But we must provide. If Jesus needs help providing for his earthly ministry, then you know what? We need help providing for the mission that God has for us. And God has placed many of you in great jobs, not just for the next thing that you might buy or the nicer car or whatever. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but he might have done that so that you can be generous in a way that others can't. Or, well, let me back up. All of us can be generous the same, but practically, I understand my language, you're able to provide in ways because God's blessed you in order to be a blessing financially. And so we will talk about in more detail what does it mean to provide for the proclamation of the kingdom of God? Because churches are going to, planting churches is not cheap. Planting churches is not cheap. Providing is not cheap. So we want to be a generous church. Thirdly and lastly, and I intentionally left this last, not because it's least of importance, because I wanted to end with this. One of the things I learned in uh, preaching was primacy and recency is what people will remember. Meaning what you say the most and what you say last is what people are going to remember. So guess what? We're putting truth number three last because of its importance. Pray for the proclamation of the kingdom of God. We'll unpack this in detail next week as we just look at the book of Acts. But let me just leave it at this. Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not Jonathan's kingdom, not New Hope's kingdom, not Dox's kingdom, God's kingdom. We want to see his kingdom here on earth. 
And so let that be our prayer. As we think about the kingdom of God, once again, I want to encourage you to New Hopers specifically. One of our values is radical hospitality, meaning we generously share our lives and resources with others. This is partly where we talk about generosity, but we use the word hospitality intentionally to emphasize the hospitality side of things. Remember, Doxa Church is here with us. They are a part of us in this coming season. We are here to love on them and encourage them and support them. And so they are not just next week going to be some other tenant that meets in worship before us. No, they are a part of New Hope forever. Even when they leave us, we're family. We're going to love and support them. So I encourage you in the coming months, get to know them. Don't, if you don't recognize someone, you're like, I'm not sure if they're with Doxa or not, go ask. They might be a guest. They might be with Doxa. A lot of you, I promise, are looking around going, there's a lot of people in here I don't know. And so that makes you nervous. And so you don't, you're like, well, do I know them? Do I not know them? I just won't talk to them. No, no, no. Go talk to them, all right? Radical hospitality says, I want to know your name. And if I don't, I'm willing to go and ask because I want to show who, I want to show that I love you and welcome you. But part of us prioritizing the kingdom and partnering together is that we love and support. So please make Doxa feel welcome. Find ways to love and support them. And let us together as two local churches, one capital C church together, let's go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.